Hello, and welcome to Everything Acting Podcast. We come to you from the capital of the world, New York City. My name is Darby Worley. I am flying solo this episode because Roz and I have both got very busy holiday schedules, and we just wanted to get some episodes out to you guys ahead of the break so you have some listening material um, to keep you busy or enable you to retreat from your family or whatever um, you use the the podcast for. Uh, You're going to hear this intro from me a couple of times because I'm going to slap it on to um, three or four interviews for you over the next um, few days. So enjoy your holidays, take a break, recharge, connect with your friends and family, and come back ready to rock your auditions in the first week of January. We love you. Thank you for listening. And Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy New Year, all the holidays. Enjoy. All right, welcome back. You're listening to Everything Acting Podcast. I am Darby Worley, and joining me today is Tony D'Antonio. Am I saying that right? That's correct. All right, so Tony is a multi-hyphenate person. She is an actor. She is a casting director. She is a producer. She's a director? Not quite yet. Not yet? Not yet. Maybe soon? Maybe in the works. Could be, could be. So Tony is somebody I have kind of admired from afar for a while, and as you guys know, I, I use this podcast as a chance to sit down and ask questions of people I find to be smart and inter- interesting in the industry, and Tony is definitely one of those. So Tony, how did you get started? We always like to start at the beginning. How did you know you wanted to be in entertainment? Uh, sure. Well, it started, believe it or not, when I was uh, a preteen uh, back in Rhode Island, which is where I grew up and where I'm from. Um, I was always into um, talent shows and stuff like that. And then I, I started to do this crazy thing. I worked as a mannequin model, and uh, which is basically standing still in store windows. And uh, a news crew came to interview me at one point because it was such an odd career choice for a preteen. And in amongst the crowd watching me in this window was a recruit person from a beauty pageant, from a pageant called Rhode Island Miss Teen at the time. And so they recruited me for this beauty pageant. And for the next four years, I entered a ton of beauty pageants and held two um, state titles for Rhode Island Miss Teen. Oh, we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was Miss Rhode Island in 1986 for the Miss America pageant, which was crazy. Uh, but I, I've always had the sort of uh, performing bug in me since I was a kid. I'm an only child, so I played a lot of make-believe because I didn't have anybody to play with. And uh, then when I graduated high school, I decided I would like to go to college for performing arts. Um, I went to Rhode Island College for just a year, still pursuing a bunch of the beauty pageants, you know, competed in the Miss America system. And then it didn't really work out for college for me, but I really did want to perform. I wasn't able to take as many classes in performing arts as I had hoped because mm-hmm. there's a lot of extracurricular stuff you have to cover to get a college degree, and it just wasn't working for me. So I kind of quit the biz for a year or so and got married. Mm-hmm. And about five months into my marriage with my husband, I sat him down and I was like, okay, um, yeah, this whole staying home, cooking and cleaning. And he just bursted out laughing because he's known me since I'm 15 years old. And he was like, yeah, I was wondering how long that was going to take. And I said, so I want to get back into performing and I'm going to do a play in Rhode Island. And um, I also want to go to this open call for uh, a soap opera. They're casting for the newest heroine on the soap opera. And he's like, well, great. Where, you know, where is it? And I said, Denver, Colorado. 
And he was like, okay, well, that's an interesting choice. And so I did. I flew to Denver, Colorado with my dad. And out of 670 some odd girls that went to this open call, I was one of 11 who screen tested for the soap opera. Which one was it? Santa Barbara. The now defunct Santa Barbara. I think I went to that open call in Minneapolis. Oh, see that? Imagine that. It was a really big, long, huge. It was huge. It was a big deal. And it was in different cities. They did it in like five major cities. Sure. Yeah. 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 So um, it was clear that that was what I should be doing. I mean, I hadn't done it in a while and just basically singing and performing on stage, but acting was really what I wanted to do. So after we got back from Denver and I started to think about pursuing it in New York, uh, I started to commute back and forth from Rhode Island. And after the first year of auditions and classes and whatever I was doing in New York, I found that I was spending five days in New York and two days in Rhode Island. And my husband and I decided that was no way to have a marriage and, and, you know, pursue the career at the same time. So we decided to move to New York. And when we first got to New York, yeah, he was an electrician at the time Mm -hmm. and he figured he could work anywhere. We didn't have any kids. Mm -hmm. So we sold the house and packed up our belongings and came came to New York with practically nothing and uh, just got some day jobs. But what really transitioned me into learning about the industry, and this is what I would suggest to any new person that hits NYC with nothing in place, um, for me, working behind the scenes was the best education I got in the industry. Um, I promised myself when I moved here that I wasn't going to work in a restaurant. I wasn't going to get a temp job in an office. And I definitely didn't want to bartend, which made you exhausted the next day for auditions. So I promised myself I would get a job in the industry somehow to learn all behind the scenes and what kind of collaborative process goes into making a film, making a TV show, um, you know, what an acting studio has to offer, how to cast projects. And I was very blessed and very lucky to meet a guy named David Donovan who runs Endeavor Studios. And uh, at the time he worked for another company, but he was kind enough to give me a job as an acting consultant, which was hilarious because I hadn't really done too much. Um, I would talk about the classes, help sell the classes. I would get to take some free classes. um, And I would assist casting directors during their sessions when they rented studio space at this facility. And so that began my career behind the scenes. Um, And I did that up until about, oh, I want to say six years ago, five years ago, I always had a day job in the industry, being a reader at casting sessions, running camera, being a monitor outside the sessions. Um, And then I also started to dabble in PA work. Um, I did, honestly, on on films and television commercials, I've done PA, AD, second AD, location scout, hair, makeup, wardrobe. Um, I've worked a little bit in the lighting department. Um, I worked a little bit in the sound department on different projects, and that hugely gave me uh, an education in filmmaking, which then spurred me to open up my own production company a while back um, to start to make independent films and, and good content, quality content. What was your favorite job out of all of those different areas of um, production work? Um, I would probably have to say the AD and second AD stuff. It's actually one of the most daunting positions. Um, but it really requires um, an OCD brain 
and that for me works, which is why I love producing and it makes me an efficient producer. Um, trying to organize paperwork and scheduling and yeah, make, say, say more, a little bit more about that for people who don't know what an AD or a second AD or what the difference is. Great. So um, give give the listeners. A lot of these people are quite young and don't know sure. this stuff. So just explain exactly what that means. Well, an AD is a very important job, and you should love those people when you're on set. By the way, absolutely. Be really kind to those people because their jobs are absolutely insane. Um, an AD is an assistant director, which is exactly what it sounds. Um, and the second AD is the person, the second assistant director right under that person. The AD is really responsible for making your set run like clockwork. And they handle all of the scheduling and the um, schedules that actually physically need to go out. Um, you're the one whose cell phone number is on everything. When anything goes wrong, you get a call from you know the top upper echelon of producers to the extras that are going to report to set. And you are basically responsible for all that falls in those categories. Um, when you're on set, uh, if there's any troubleshooting that needs to happen, most times the AD is the person that's contacted first. Um, they're in touch with both the production manager, the production coordinator, the director, the second AD, obviously, that works right under them, um, sometimes the line producer, the associate producer, and the producers, and the cast and crew um, that work on the periphery of the show. So it's the, the amount of responsibility is kind of insane. But it is a really fascinating job because if you really want to learn the film business, the most efficient, practical way to learn it is to be an AD or a second AD because your hands are in everything on set, yeah. which is, you know, again, a little daunting. But What can actors do to make that person's job easier? Uh, be on time. Don't be demanding. Uh, do your job. If you're asked to report to set, be there. If you're asked to stand away from set, move away quickly. Um, don't, don't think of your job as an actor as a social experiment to figure out who you can know and what you can discuss during being on set. Pay attention, listen, um, watch everything that's happening, and just be really aware of your surroundings and aware of what you're supposed to be doing. That, that not only makes the AD's job easier, but it makes everybody's job easier. A lot of times people report to set, and they think it's social time. And they're sitting, they're talking, they're on their phones, they're Facebooking, they're doing all the stuff that's not really part of your job at that time. If you worked on Wall Street and you had to report to your office, you would not be doing all of those social things. You'd be doing your work. And our industry is no different. It seems a little frivolous in nature sometimes. It's not. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, and everybody needs to do their jobs efficiently and really pay attention to that sort of stuff. It's a, it's a huge collaborative thing, and if you're one of the cogs in the wheel and you're screwing up, uh, it, it's like a house of cards, man. It all can fall apart. Yeah, I think that's really important what you're saying about um – the benefit of doing that job is that you get to learn about everybody else's job on set. And actors so often are very narrow and focused. We're very concerned about our craft and our experience. But if you don't, if you if you worked on Wall Street again, you would know what the other people in the bank were doing. Always. At least have an idea, a general Absolutely. sense, and yes. how and how you contribute to the overall machine, mm-hmm. right? What, so if somebody doesn't quite have the skills to jump in and be an AD, what like what are some of the other things? Is a PA a good place for? A I think the to PA start? is the the ultimate place to production start. Production assistant. Production assistant, yep. exactly. Unfortunately it is a thankless job and a lot of people don't want to do it because there's not a lot of pay involved a lot of times they hire intern slash PAs which there's no pay involved but for those of us who have come the distance and been in the business for a long time you always have to pay your dues by doing some of the free work 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm doing my, my hand air quotes. Because, I mean, even when you start out in theater, if you're not equity, you do a ton of free shows when you first start so you can get on stage and get that experience. It's the same thing in the film business. And, and even when I started in casting, the first several times I worked for a casting associate, um, I did free work as a reader to gain experience, build their trust. I mean, again, in this industry, it's all about building relationships. And the only way you can do that and build trust with people is to show up on time, do your work, be really hungry, be really efficient, and be really excited about what it is that you're doing and learning. Because it all contributes to making you a, re a well-rounded artist. And I use the word artist loosely because every little aspect of the industry is an art form. Even when it comes to the grips that are working on set, their art is a little bit more mechanical in nature, but they still have to work within the confines of this artistry, the picture, the sound, the production design, everything all contributes to the ultimate art that comes out. So I think that you, you have to really want it. You have to really be excited about it and you have to want to learn. Because we're always growing, no matter what position we're in, we're always growing and learning. And if you're not, then you're you're doing something wrong. Yeah, and I think too, I always try. I try to remind people, especially when they're starting out. And I came to I came to New York at 34, so I did some of this this free work in my mid 30s, and even into my early 40s. Yeah. And I, but I, I try to remember that it's not really free because you're learning something. You're gaining great benefit Absolutely. from being on a set or being in a casting session. I worked for a casting director for three years, and just just learning how the the um, the the workflow of a commercial casting casting director was yep. very valuable for me. So it's not you're, it's not always free. You're getting something out of it. And also for the audition process, I mean that for me was ridiculously invaluable. And I'm and it, the reason why, believe it or not, is because I learned what not to do. You learn a lot of what to do, but learning what not to do is just as important. Mm -hmm. There were times where I'd sit in a casting room and watch an actor just completely fall apart by not listening to direction and, you know, giving the same performance the second time without hearing what the adjustment was. Mm -hmm. There are times when actors, and God love us, we're, you know, we're the insecure of, of the world when it comes to the art. You know, we, we want to be loved. We want to be liked. We want to take our time in the room and, and make it mean so much. But sometimes that desperation translates to a, a nightmare situation where you don't leave the room. And when your audition is done, you want to stay there so bad. So you start these random, inane conversations that don't mean anything. And me running camera or being the assistant in the room, I've watched so many actors just sort of you know, belabor a point of something so stupid and I'm, I want to look at them and just, you know, do yeah. the little cutoff signal and be like, no, 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 you're done. You did so well. Leave the room. Hurry up. Get out while the getting's good. Because then you see the people and they start to go, oh God, this person is just not going to leave. Well, because and, then you realize, I don't, I'm not sure I want to work with this person. Of course. Right? Because yeah. if they're just going to be chatty Cathy's and just me, 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 it's all about me. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you more about me. That's not getting the job done. You know, so uh, there are so many things that you learn not what not to do. It's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. And that was an awesome uh, experience for me sitting in the rooms doing casting. So it feels to me, and I could be wrong, this is just my perception from kind of like watching from the outside. So I all of a sudden started seeing you on TV and, and like, I, like you, like you transitioned, like you left, like I, I knew you as this casting person. And then all of a sudden I was seeing you pop up on the, like I saw her, her get killed on the following, which I want to ask you about. Um, but so like, how, did you, stomach. Yeah, how did you trans, like what, like when did, did what changed to, and, or, or did you just start getting more successful? Like what was it? Were you always acting or was uh, this I, like, I, 
I've always been acting through the yeah. years. Yes. I've been an actor for 20 years. Um, you know, a sort of nondescript, whatever work I could get. And, yeah. you know, I started out doing extra work like everybody else, doing yeah. the non-pay theater gigs, you know, getting my feet wet where I could and still working the sideline behind the scenes. And about, um, I would say, maybe eight years ago, I made a little transition and I think it had to do with a number of different things. Mm-hmm. I think my age had something to do with it because of the level... Tony and I are about the, about the same age, by the way, guys. Yeah. Not a kid anymore. <laughs> um, and so I've been married 25 years, if that's any indication. Um, so I, I got to a point in my life um, where I became sort of the woman that I hoped to be. I mean, I'm, st- I'm still a work in progress, as we all are. But I got um, to this confidence level that was very different from when I was in my 20s and 30s. Um, And I came to terms with who I was as a character actor. And that's a really big thing. When you're in the industry, we always um, have uh, delusions of grandeur, so to speak. Everybody thinks they can be, you know, this multi-talented actor that can fit any slot. And we all like to think that we can be the lead, um, the ingenue, the leading man. And we all have those capabilities as artists to transform and, you know, our acting ability, if we're talented, we, we can fit those slots, but marketing wise, you need to know really who you are. So how did you figure out who you were? Uh, it came with age for me. I, you know, being, coming from a beauty pageant background, I know this is going to sound yeah, so I want to go back to that corny, so, so I do but you know, I, I sort of had this illusion in my mind that I could be the leading lady mm-hmm. and I'm a little quirky and I'm a little character and I'm kind of ethnic and, you know, in an ambiguous sort of way. And, you know, I'm not a stick figure. I'm curvy and voluptuous and, um, and I, my personal confidence kicked in, you know, when I hit 40, so to speak. And I just came to terms with the fact that, yeah, I'm a character actor, and that's kind of exciting because there's a lot of opportunities for character actresses, um, especially now with the amount of work that goes on in New York. You know, we have over, I don't even know, it's like over 40 shows that are filming here or some crazy number like that. It's the most it's ever been in like 25 years. So when I embraced that, when I embraced the character in me, it made me less desperate to work. It made me less um, paranoid about what I looked like and how I sounded and, you know, I don't mean to say it so superficially, but how pretty I was. Yeah, so I want to talk about this. So here's my question for you, because when I look at you and everything that that I've ever known you to be, and I guess I've known you for maybe about 10, like known you for uh, for about maybe 10 years. Yeah. And I always think of you as like this kind of like hard ass, like kind of tough, like um, New York, like I would never have dreamed you didn't grow up in New York. I always thought you grew up here. Kind of woman... And I am floored to learn that you came from the pageant system because I have friends who are, have, have been in this, you know, so I, I'm a little bit familiar with it. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's like, awesome. You just seem so, so way too smart for well, that. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't Ooh, not to insult yeah. anybody, but because I have a, a friend who's Miss America right now and I know, oh, she, I know she's brilliant. How exciting. But you, but you just, just don't strike me as a pageant person. I'm a little edgier than most of the girls that competed in the pageants. Yeah. I have to admit. I mean, I, you know what? <laughs> it was a great opportunity at the time. Um, I came from a small state, so yeah. it seemed like the natural thing to do at that time. You know, I was, I was a cheerleader and, you know, I did all the, you know, all that sort of stuff growing up, class president, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so it, it seemed sort of the natural path at the time, but I will tell you, I didn't really fit in. 
Yeah. I mean, for me, I showed up at Miss America, got off the plane and was like, is there anywhere we can smoke? <laughs> like, you know, everybody kind of looked at me like, oh, well, I don't think so. And I was like, well, what do you mean? We can't smoke? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, in my crown and banner, ready to smoke a cigarette in the corner somewhere. So I didn't really um, fit in as far as the stereotype typical look and feel But were you like scarred from it at all? <laughs> like, like, I mean, did they, were they, and I don't mean physically scarred, but were they like putting Vaseline on your teeth and doing all that crazy Miss America shit? Like, I, yes. Yeah. They, I, I was very unprepared for the Miss America pageant because, um, I, uh, I mean, I had a great team behind me, um, on the local level helping me get ready for Miss America, but they, there was a, a lot of information that wasn't provi- provided for me before I got there. For example, the, um, duct taping of the breasts (laughs) to have cleavage. Now, for those of you who can't see me, I'm a little well endowed. And, um, and I had these before they were fashionable actually. And so (laughs) they're natural. So, um, I was very unaware that you were supposed to tape everything all in and up and, you know, to because that's, I was 20 at the time. Mine were up here. Mine were in my throat. So I really didn't. And I, I tried it one day during one of the rehearsals. Oh my Lord. When I took off the tape, I pulled like every blood vessel (sighs) under my boobs. It was just a terrible, terrible experience. And then the other new thing that I was shown was the adhesive spray that you spray on your derriere to pull down your bathing suit so that it forms around your butt and you don't get a wedgie when you're walking down the runway. Well, my whole theory behind that was that I had bought a bathing suit was that was actually my size. So it didn't rise up when I walked, but apparently I wasn't told that you were supposed to buy a bathing suit that's one size too small, so it sucks you all in, and then you sort of mold. It's craziness. Were they mean to you? Were they nice to you? Like, how, like what was your experience with? with I had the, a mix. Yeah. I had a mix of people. I mean, for the most part, I met some lovely girls. Two of which I stayed in touch with here in New York. One of which I still see pretty frequently. Yeah. Um, she was Miss Florida at the time. But I did meet with a couple of girls. Uh, I remember this one girl, and I can't remember the state. Um, not that I would mention it, uh, but she came up to me and asked me about my evening gown and most of the girls spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Their budgets for their states are huge for beauty pageants and we're a very small state and so, you know, we had to have fundraisers and all kinds of crazy things for me to get money to buy clothes because you need like seven evening gowns and all this absurd amount of stuff. And so one of the evening gowns that I wore, I designed and I went to like a seamstress in Rhode Island that was you know, somebody who'd made a prom gown for me or whatever. And I was like, this is the design I want to make. Do you think you can make this? And it was much, much less expensive than going, you know, and buying one in a store. And so one of the contestants said, that's a, a lovely gown you're wearing. Who's the designer? And I said, my maiden name is Langello. So mm-hmm. I said, oh, that's the Tony Langello original. And she said, oh, I don't know that designer. And I burst out laughing and I was like, no, no, it's me. <laughs> and she was like, oh, and she gave me like an up and down with her eyes and then just walked away. And I was left there standing alone, and I was like, okay, bye, good to meet you. So it was weird things like that that, you know. I mean, and I know it's very different in 2014 than it was in 1986, but do you think it's a good thing for women or, like, a bad thing for women? What do you think? For me, overall, it was a positive experience in the sense that I learned um, my... Uh, we have like blinders on in Rhode Island. It's a very small state. It's mm-hmm. very tight knit. And um, I became a lot more worldly going to the Miss America pageant and meeting people from all walks of life from all over the country. That was a great education. Mm-hmm. Um, learning to handle yourself as a young woman in a very specific professional situation that helped me grow. Um, 
to speak more articulately, to have better posture, to be more um, feminine and lovely in, you know, in, in my general presentation. So that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like the um, sort of... Uh, the backstabbiness and the pettiness and, you know, but that you get in any industry, I think, even mm-hmm. in our, you know, regular general entertainment well, women industry, get it in any industry, women get it. Well, yeah. Of course, men, that's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> but I, I wasn't nuts about that. Um, but I think I'm very blessed because I come from a very grounded family, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, um, that's a word I would absolutely use about you is grounded. And I oh, think that Miss America is the opposite of grounded. That's why I'm so, I guess, gobsmacked. But I, think I, I think I got through it because I was grounded. You yeah. know, I didn't take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was a little devastated when I came home. I have to admit, I had high hopes of mm-hmm. placing, getting a non-finalist talent award. You know, everybody had pumped me up so much. What did the, you do for your talent? Uh, I'm a singer. Yeah. So, yeah, I sang a, a Billie Holiday song, uh, My Man. Yeah. And um, so I, I think I was a little upset when I came home that nothing had happened and I, I kind of was a little angry and I wanted to quit the business and not perform anymore, mm-hmm. but just for a short time, you know, I got over it again. I, my family's wonderful. I have uh, great parents who've always been really supportive and, um, you know, they, they kind of got me through it and they were like, this isn't the be all end all. And I think one of the great life's lessons that I learned that I still apply to my life now is all of the stuff that we talk about mm-hmm. is what we do. It's not who we are. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge difference between the two. And I think that as you always want to be a committed actor and be present and be in the moment and live and breathe a character, it's still a job. Mm-hmm. And you still have to walk away and go back to your regular life, which is what should be your priority. You right. should always maintain a certain level of reality. And, and that comes in the form of parents and friends and husbands and spouses and partners and whatever the case may be. And rely on those people to always tell you the truth, always knock you down a peg when you think you're, you know, on the rise. Because that's where you live and breathe. Yeah. You know, in the moment you live and breathe a character. But again, it's just what we do. It's not who we are. Yeah, and I think about those pageants. That's, that's, that's truly a character, right? I mean, like, like literally women are parading around in their swimsuits and getting a grade like yeah. that is not being who you, judged that is not for who you are. all the superficial stuff yeah. and if, if anything yeah that was a great acting experience yeah you know to try and be this persona that was a beauty queen yeah. you know and uh and it was it was what it was at the time and you know i'll never i'll, I'll never look at it as though it was something you know embarrassing or terrible mm-hmm. or you know it was a, a wonderful experience that i learned a lot um, during about myself, about the the industry, the world, the pageant world, um, and looking back on it now, especially because I'm much older now, like parts of it were really comical. <laughs> you know, parts of it were so silly, and you know, the whole swimsuit competition in itself is just a silly little thing of like, hi, here I am in a bathing suit. How great is my ass and boobs? Like, I mean, you know, and now they call it, I think they've changed the criteria a little bit too. They call the different sections like fitness and stuff like that. Yeah, but if it were really fitness, they would have them out there lifting weights and doing And doing aerobics. Exactly. Thank you. So yeah, it's, it's a beauty, 
yeah. pageant. Okay, so, so let's let's talk a little bit about some. So do let do let's talk about the following. Um, are you still watching the show? Uh, I actually am not, and I haven't DVR'd. I just have been so busy, I haven't been able to see this season. It gets but... completely ridiculous. Oh this my season. god! So um, I haven't so, DVR'd though. So talk about that stunt. So uh, first of all, tell a little bit about your role, and then talk about how they um, pulled the stunt off because it's a very epic killing. Yeah, it is. It's pretty crazy. Um, I was I played a character named Claire Dobkins, and basically I was targeted because my name was Claire. That's and right. those of you who watch the show, that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was in a, a diner sitting with a friend and one of the psycho follower killer cult people mm-hmm. um, tracked me down and came into the booth and basically was sitting there with a spear gun under the table and I end up being pierced and shot through the stomach with a spear gun. And the way the shoot went was just absolutely crazy. Like to see it on the screen and to know what happened behind the scenes, I was like, damn, that looks really good. Like it felt so fake when I was doing it. I'm like, oh, this is never going to fly. There's no way. And then you see it edited the whole thing. And you're like, ah, movies, man. Look at movie making. It's so astounding. So how did you do it? So the first thing that we had to do was, um, her motion. She basically banged her hands under the table to startle me to know that was the moment to suck in my gut and, and be hit with the spear gun. Um, and then when you're, you're only seeing the top half of me. So you see my body sort of contract, like I got shot, but then you really only see the top of me until they cut back and forth again. And when that cuts back to me again, there is an actual spear sticking out of my stomach with blood all around it and basically under the shirt they like had a a glue thing that stuck to my belly and you know it was covered in blood and then they show an angle that shows the spear actually through the booth Uh so the back side of the hard seat shows the arrow coming out you know which of course is is fake but just looks so entirely well this is the magic of movie making because in my memory i'm like i swear i can see that spear coming like actually going into you it's crazy (laughs) It's absolutely crazy. So you have one degree separation from Kevin Bacon. I do. He was lovely. He actually, um, I said goodbye to him at the end of the shoot and he shook my hand and thanked me for working on the show and they hadn't been picked up fully for, you know, the season or the second season yet. And uh, he, you know, I think his statement was it's, it's New York actors like you that are going to help us get to the next level. Thanks so much. And Mm -hmm. he was just a gracious, lovely guy. Very cute too. I must admit. And uh, so, yeah, so now I'm one degree of Kevin Bacon. Who'd have thunk it all those years ago when that started? Right? Um, so have you been with the same agents all these years? or I, I have not. Okay. Um, I've switched around a lot. Uh, I actually don't have a legit agent. I have a management team that I work with instead who've been extremely... Who are your managers? Uh, Prestige Talent Group. Oh, okay. Chris. Yeah, yeah. Christopher. And uh, they've been really wonderful and kind and um, smart and helpful in developing me. And, and as an older gal, so to speak, um, that's been amazing because a lot of times uh, management teams don't want to take a shot on any of us old people. Uh, and I'm not really old, but you know what I mean. Yeah. They want all the youngins. And, uh, and Christopher's been great and just really supportive. And then I was blessed beyond all blessed to have broken into the voiceover world later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, Atlas Talent Agency is my voiceover family. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been the most amazingly supportive, ridiculously awesome. I can't say enough good things about them. Um, they are so personally involved in their client base and they 
work with you to really help nurture and develop your career. Mm -hmm. And I've been extremely lucky to be with them. I, I have a career in voiceovers. I make a living at voiceovers and I'm so grateful. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's the best. It's a pretty cool job. I'm it not, is I'm a not pretty cool lie. job. It I'm is. All right. So now, when did you start producing movies? Uh, tell, tell that story. Tell that story. Well, let's see. So, producing movies. Um, I worked uh, back going back to my casting. Mm-hmm. I worked for an awesome casting director named Susan Shopmaker, hmm. and I mean, I've worked for a ton of really great casting directors. She's she's among a, a really amazing group of people that gave me a shot to work in casting and. But specifically her, um, she was a, a casting director that was on the brink of the indie world, casting a bunch of really great indie films. And when her first independent film got accepted into Sundance, she went to the Sundance Film Festival, and while she was gone, I helped run her office. And her stories and her um, career trajectory after that was so incredibly fascinating that I thought it would be a really neat idea to do some research at the Sundance Film Festival about independent film and, mm-hmm. and sort of break into that world. I thought it was just fascinating. And so the following year, my husband and I started this five-year ritual of going to Sundance. Mm-hmm. And so we would go and try and screen as many movies as we could and try and crash as many parties as we could. And um, my husband was in the event business at the time, so he actually helped out running a bunch of events that were there. So we got into a bunch of cool parties and mm-hmm. hung out with celebs who weren't celebs. I mean... They were the likes of like Vince Vaughn and Liev Schreiber and Robin Tunney and Christina Ricci. And those were the like indie darlings back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was before Sundance sort of got really star studded. Mm -hmm. And so everybody was just hanging out in like jeans and fur boots and like, you know, no makeup and at the the little chalets and just partying and having fun and talking about independent film and about the art and the creation and the collaboration. It was really incredible. And so we did that for five years. And that sort of spurred this little thing in me that I was like, you know what? I want to create good content, different, unique content, Um, non-gender specific casting, non-gender specific hiring of key crew personnel, um, original character driven stories that move people that entertain, but still, you know, really tell a story. Mm -hmm. And so I started developing in-house material and seeking out unique material from other writers. And it snowballed into this great little production company. And I've produced a couple of TV pilots, a reality show, a music video that won a couple of awards. Um, And my first full-length feature that I've been developing for seven years, we just finished. Mm. What's it uh, called? It's called Alto. Mm -hmm. And it's a romantic comedy starring uh, Diana DeGarmo from American Idol. Mm-hmm. Uh, lovely New York actress named Natalie Knapp, uh, uh, Annabella Shiora from Sopranos, Ward Horton, who was just the lead in Annabelle, mm-hmm. and all that lovely success for him, mm-hmm. so happy, and a bunch of other amazing character actors from New York, Lou Martini from Sopranos, uh, Lynn Tucci from Orange is the New Black, uh, Anthony Gallo, David Valson from Person of Interest, just a bunch of really hard-working New York actors, um, and we completed the film. Um, it's a lovely story about... Two mob guys whose daughters fall in love. Mm. And about the hilarity and chaos that ensues when they come out to their big Catholic Italian families. And there's lots of really sweet humor in it. And the love story is completely authentic and believable. Shot in and around Manhattan and Brooklyn on a shoestring of a budget. How did you get the money? 
Uh, we did a Kickstarter campaign where we raised some of the funds, and then I have an executive producer, Alora DiCarlo, that came on board with some angel investors that helped us get to uh, the final budget. And, um, you know, we, we made it with spit and a Band-Aid, but we did it. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks really – that the crazy thing is that it looks so amazing. We went with the Post Factory for post-production, who if you're ever going to finish a film, the Post Factory is where to go. These guys are so outstanding in their service to indie film. And, uh, and they made it look like it's like over a half a million dollar film. Mm-hmm. So we're so thrilled. And, uh, and then I have a bunch of other things in development. I'm working on my first million dollar feature called Inside Fighter, starring Ed Burns, Chance Kelly, John Huertes from Castle, Siobhan Fallon. Um, and then I have a couple of other things in the works, um, a film that we're working on uh, that's going to be directed by Joe Bologna. And, um, and yeah, so now it's, now the company's starting to sort of get some legs, which so is So how exciting. did you get the big movie? Did, the, did you, did you option the material or how did that, how did that movie land in your, I don't know, Um, the first it? movie I optioned the material. Mm-hmm. Um, this second movie, I was actually sought out by the executive producers and the writer. Mm-hmm. Um, there, they worked with somebody who worked with me on my first film, Alto. They mm-hmm. recommended me. I went and met with them and we kind of fit and, you know, the, the, relationship was clear that it was good to be built upon and I had known the writer for years um, as an actor and so we had a little bit of a pre-existing relationship and and so they they hired me to help get the film to the next level and and then the other film came about because one of my actors from my film decided he wanted to produce something and Mm -hmm. you know knew that I had finished a film I mean that's once you finish a film, that's your calling card. Like yeah. a lot of people start films and they don't quite finish them. And so once you finish a film and it looks great and the story solid, um, people kind of seek you out, which is exciting, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, it's like, uh, it's like that too in all areas of the business. Like once you've worked for a while, things start, it kind of, I always, I always think of it like it's pushing a snowball up a hill, but once, and which is, which is hard, hard, hard to get that ball up the absolutely. hill. Absolutely. But once you get at the top of the hill, then it just starts rolling down the other side. Yep. And it just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, we bigger. just came back, my executive producer and I just came back from the American film market where we were trying to like hawk our wares for Alta yeah, yeah. and find a, an international and domestic sales agent, you know, to help us with distribution. And I ran into another friend of mine from New York, um, this amazingly talented guy named Sam Roberts, and he just finished a film called A Fish Story, mm-hmm. um, which just got picked up for distribution at the American film market, but his journey, excuse me, also was seven years in the making. You know, sometimes your first film does take that long from conception to execution Mm -hmm. to really develop it and make sure it's worthy of the big screen. And then, you know, to raise the money, go into production, finish your post-production, get all your music rights. If you need music rights, I mean, the whole process takes so long, but once you see it finished, it's so gratifying, like unbelievable. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like your baby. You know, you have a baby, you send it off to preschool, you send it off to middle school, and now it's like our baby just graduated college. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, so what happens next with them? With the, with uh, the as soon as we solidify a deal with our sales agent, um, mm-hmm. we shop it out to uh, distribution folk for either a small theatrical here in the States, um, some theatrical in, in foreign sales. I mean, we know we're very specific because we are an LGBT film, an LGBT mm-hmm. friendly, so some markets will not be right for us. We'll never sell to the Middle East. We'll never sell to Asia. But Canada, South America, the UK, France, Germany, Italy, um, and then we're you know we're hoping for maybe a VOD deal, which mm-hmm. is video on demand, a Netflix deal, and then we're submitting to festivals. So we'll yeah. hopefully get into some festivals and get some traction and build a fan base. And is there a website that people, people uh, there's, can check it out? There's not a website yet. We're developing our website. You mm-hmm. can find out information about the film on ShakeTheTreeProductions.com, which mm-hmm. is my production company website. We have a fan page on um, Facebook, which is Alto the Movie. 
You can follow us on Twitter, also Alto the Movie, and Instagram as well, Alto the Movie. So awesome. it's uh, we'll hopefully coming out next year. That stuff. We'll oh, that'd be great. All that stuff. Um, that'd be on, terrific. Uh, on the podcast link. So I'm, I just have one more question. Let me have to get you out of here so you tell your car doesn't get a ticket. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my the last question I ask for everybody is, what's your advice to a kid out in Ohio right now listening to this podcast, wondering, decide, just, um, thinking about whether or not to become an actor? What's your advice for that kid? Um, my advice would be to first understand that it's a very long road. Um, unfortunately, we are tainted with reality programming now, which makes celebrities overnight. And the real true, not to sound highfalutin in any way, but the real true thespians, the people that really want to act and want to learn their craft, that overnight success does not happen. It's not reality. You have to be willing to put in your time to learn, to educate yourself, to practice. Um, get involved even as local as you can in different acting companies, acting groups, theater groups, classes. Um, always be willing to up your game by learning. And then do your proper research with, um, you know, the internet is so great for doing research now on what your local market has to offer. Um, and prepare yourself for coming to a bigger venue like a New York City or if you're closer to Chicago, if you're closer to Miami, even San Francisco and, you know, L.A., Eventually, you are going to need to make a move to one of the major markets if you want a lot of work. Um, if you want to stay local, there's still plenty of work in local markets, um, but you do have to do your research, and you just have to make sure that you're really patient with your journey because it is a journey. It's a bit of an adventure, and um, you have to constantly be willing to build relationships behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. You know, Make sure that you are a respected um, person in the industry, that people like you and admire you and respect your choices as an artist. Never take anything for granted because it's a wonderful industry to be blessed to work in and you don't ever want to take that for granted and you always want people to know that you know you're you're never as good as your next job because you're always looking to get better you're always wanting to get better um, and so that's that's my biggest advice and just be really present in your own life too because life experience is the only thing that's really going to give you an arsenal of tools to use as an actor like you know it's not really just about play and make believe it is don't get me wrong sometimes it is that simple you know, to, to channel your, your inner child and, and, you know, be as free as you were when you played cops and robbers when you were a kid. Um, but for the most part, um, if you're present in your real life and you're really using life's experience, you know, as the tools to make you a better actor, it's going to make you richer as a person, richer as an artist, um, and just, you know, more available for great work and great relationships, both in your business and your personal life. I think that's a wonderful place to stop. <laughs> Tony, thank you so much. This thank you for awesome. having me. This was great. Um, you will find links to some of the stuff that we talked about today on the show notes for this episode. Stay with us.